You're listening to the Salt Churches Podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. Well, hello and welcome again to the Salt Church's podcast. I'm Parker Green. I'm going to be your host for today. If you love this podcast, if you like this podcast, if you at least give it a four-star rating, maybe even a Three and a half. No, not a three and a half. If you give us a four or more, please go and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. It always helps us a lot. And we want to get this message out. We get the message of the gospel out, the message of micro churches and living in family on mission out. So if um, you're listening today, just go real quick. Um, not if you're driving, we don't want you to die. But at any other time, please feel free to hop on iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. We'd really, really appreciate that. Um, Jess and I put a lot of work into this podcast as well as some of our team members, and um, we're continually aiming to improve and improve our storytelling, improve how uh, we do this. So any feedback or suggestions or anything you guys want to hear about um, as far as it goes when it comes to microchurches, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to seeing people saved and baptized and repenting and following Jesus and entering into the kingdom, please let us know. Um, any ideas are certainly welcome. Um, if it's a bad idea, we just uh, won't do it. So there you go. So I got this problem. So imagine growing up a Christian, which I think many people that listen to this podcast have, but so many people grow up in a world in Christianity, especially in the United States, in the Western world, that's the context we live in, right? With this transactional mindset when it comes to following Jesus. So what do I mean by that? You raise your hand, say a prayer, job's done, right? Or in some churches, say a hand, say a hand, <laughs> raise your hand, say a prayer, get baptized, job's done. Here's the thing as a pastor for, it's been about 10 years. No, geez, longer. I'm getting old. 30, I'm 33 now. Started when I was 18 doing junior high ministry in Australia. And so it's been 15 years. So tack on another five um, to that 10. 15 years I've been doing ministry. And this problem I keep running into um, consistently or have run, have run into consistently is people choose with their mouths to follow Jesus, and then very rarely does their heart follow. Now, why is that? I'm not blaming the people necessarily, and I'm not necessarily blaming you that's listening right now regarding that. What I'm saying is that maybe, just maybe the way we've pitched the gospel of, of Jesus, maybe we're not giving the entire picture. Maybe we're not giving the whole picture. Maybe our narrative or our story isn't quite strong enough to engage the heart of people, to engage the burning passion of people that we see all the way through the Gospels and Acts and in the writings of Paul 
and Peter and John um, and others in the New Testament. Maybe, just maybe, the real problem is people like me, ministers like us, that have stood up on stages and pitched a cheap gospel that doesn't tell people what to do with their lives the next day. That's the problem I keep running into. And maybe that's the problem you're running into right now. It's like, okay, yeah, I go to church. I do the thing. I I love listening to the Bible. Maybe you have a genuine love for God, right? And many of us do. But then you're like, well, what do I do with my job? What do I do with my marriage? What do I do with money? What do I do with the things that matter with my neighbors, with relationships, with, with orphans and widows? When it comes to those things on a daily basis... Like, what what does Jesus have to say about how we sleep and eat? What does Jesus have to say about his lordship in regards to how clean or dirty our house is? Or um, just a multitude of different things. What What does his lordship say about good and bad habits throughout our day? And so many of those things that aren't explicitly written out in the Bible, right? I mean, there's so many things like, well, it doesn't necessarily say anything about that in the Bible, so I guess it's fine. Or other people, other camps will say, oh, I guess it's uh, it's not okay. It just doesn't really make sense to me now um, after digging through Scripture, listening to uh, amazing speakers and reading amazing books, people like N.T. Wright, Dallas Willard, that we have a gospel and we've been pitching a gospel of sin management. At its very best, sometimes it's a gospel of sin management. And I've slung that gospel myself. So what do I mean by that? Gospel of sin management. Well, think of it like this. Say you are a man living in the 21st century with access to the internet and you are hopelessly addicted to pornography. What does the gospel of raising your hand at the front and saying, Jesus, I accept what you've done for me and I now declare you Lord, actually do for your daily life when it comes to your addiction to pornography? Or take the female aspect of it. Say you live in this society in the 21st century and you cannot stop comparing yourself to other women in beauty ads, or you feel like you need to purchase something to make yourself feel happy. Now, I know men do this too, and I'm stereotyping a little bit, but across the board, both work for everybody. So what do we do on our daily basis with a gospel of sin management? Well, we try and stuff it away. We try and keep plugging away. We keep praying. We keep trying harder, and it doesn't seem like things really go away. Now, The problem that we're running into is that we haven't preached the full gospel. And that's why we're talking today about the gospel of the kingdom. I believe it's a lost gospel in the United States. I think in the context that I've worked in, it's not something you ever hear preached about. The gospel of the kingdom of God. But check out Mark 1, 14 through 15. First thing Jesus says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is that good news? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is declaring a brand new kingdom. Think about that. Think about what that sounded like to the Jews that he was talking to at the time. Think about what that sounded like maybe even to the Romans that were 
milling around the outside of the crowd and listening to that as well. Think about what this meant to people that were standing and sitting and listening to Jesus. How could he come and say, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. What is Jesus thinking? What is Jesus actually thinking when he's saying something like this? And what are the Jews that are listening thinking? So we have to take a quick trip through almost 3,000 years of history in order to get a grasp of what the Jews might be thinking when Jesus says this. You have to look at the fact that the Jews were oppressed by the Persians, by the, by the Assyrians, by the Greeks, by the Romans, and a myriad of others in between and around that. And all they wanted, and all the Jews were talking about at the time, and all they're thinking about at this time under Roman oppression is when will God set up his kingdom like it says in the prophets, and when will we do away with these oppressors? So when Jesus is saying, the time has come, he's saying, I am, or this is, the culmination of history. The history that you've been talking about, the history that you've been thinking about, the things that we've been discussing as the Jewish people for 3,000 years. For 3,000 years. This is what Jesus is saying. So people are listening. And one of the best examples of what Jesus does is in Matthew, right before the Sermon on the Mount, he goes and he casts out demons. He heals the sick. He opens blind eyes, right? He, he does a bunch of insane miracles. And then he says, this is what the kingdom looks like. And the kingdom looks like the Sermon on the Mount. And we can get to that at another time. But the reality is that Jesus was giving them a show and tell ministry. He was showing them a different kingdom maybe than they expected. What they were expecting was some kind of military leader to drive out their oppressors, which I think would be a reasonable ask from a God that they've seen in the Old Testament. But Jesus was doing something completely different. He's saying the time has come, right? He's saying the kairos. That means history is coming to a head. It's coming to a point. Now is the time. Now is the actual time where the good news has arrived. He's saying, in essence, History is coming to a head in me right now. And that's what Jesus is showing us. He's declaring a brand new kingdom that we're his people. That the reality of this, and this is what I want you to grasp. This is what I want you to grasp, grasp so badly is Jesus wasn't just giving us a transaction. Jesus' death and resurrection is about entrance to the kingdom of God here and now in our daily lives. The good news of the gospel is not that a new military leader has come and wiped out oppressors and killed more people, causing more violence. The good news is not just that Jesus died, but also that he is very much alive. And the promise of a brand new world has begun. In one way, shape, or form, the culmination of this whole thing is the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what Jesus is really talking about. Jesus is talking to us and to the people that he initially spoke to that the good news of the kingdom has arrived. So he tells them to repent. What does that mean? Repent and believe the good news. It means turn from the way that you're living now. Turn from the way that you're thinking now. Turn from it. Turn from it. He's almost begging them and urging them 
that I'm here now. I'm the culmination of that kingdom. I'm the king of that kingdom. And I'm going to show you what this kingdom looks like. So when we talk about discipleship and following Jesus, we're not just talking about dying to ourselves for no reason, for no good reason. When we say, take up your cross and follow him, we mean the old way, the old way that we did things doesn't work anymore. So that person has to die. Your crucif- The crucifixion of your flesh on a daily basis, the fact that Jesus is essentially saying, like Billy Graham quoted, pick up your electric chair and sit in it. Let the old you die completely because you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven through the power of the Spirit. And it's something we can't completely understand. It's something we can't completely explain. But would you really worship a God that you can explain or a process of complete transformation that you can explain? Absolutely not. Jesus shows us the kingdom because some things can't just be explained by every jot and tittle and by by lists or PowerPoints or uh, a good teaching. They have to be lived. And what Jesus is describing to us in the kingdom of the heavens is a world that is completely different. He's saying, I am about to form a brand new people. A people like the Jews, but even more so. The, the, the thing that the Jews weren't getting at the time, the Jewish people, the Israelites were not understanding is that they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to show people what the kingdom of God looked like. And the original covenants didn't work. The, the Garden of Eden didn't work. The covenant of the law didn't work. Every single covenant up to this point failed. So what Jesus had to do was show us what God's original intent, his rule, actually look like in a perfect human being. And that's the example that we are called to follow. We take individual responsibility for following Jesus into his kingdom and corporately we become his people. That's what life in the kingdom looks like. That's why the church is so important. It's not important because we need to just change what we do on a daily basis. It's important because God is gathering a brand new people and a brand new way. Not by military conquest, not by nationhood, not by tribe, not by language, not by male or female or Jew or Greek or slave or free, like Paul the Apostle says, but everybody one in Christ by the same blood and by the same power of his resurrection. So when Jesus is talking about the the kingdom, when he says repent and believe the good news, he's talking about Kairos coming to a head. And when he says the kingdom of heaven has come near, what does he mean? Because I've heard so many explanations of this that stop short of what I believe Jesus was trying to tell us and trying to tell his immediate audience in first century Judea. He's saying near, right? What the original writers of the gospel wrote when they wrote near was near in the Greek perfect tense. Now, what does that even mean? It means it's a complete action, right, that is ongoing. So we say it would say present or past tense, right? But the Greek perfect tense, right? Well, past, present, and future tense is what we'd say. But the Greek perfect tense means it's happening now and it's continuing to happen. It's happening now and it's continuing to happen. And somewhere along the way, 
we lost that the kingdom of God is happening now and it's continuing to happen. That's what Jesus is saying. This isn't something I'm coming up with. This isn't something I'm creating. This isn't some new gospel or some new thing or something that Jesus would be surprised by. Or for that matter, the first century Jews that he was speaking to, what they saw was the narrative that they were fitting into and what we need to see as believers in this kingdom age that Jesus is introducing at the beginning of every single gospel. It's the core center message of what he's talking about. He's talking directly about this brand new kingdom, not just not just his death on the cross and resurrection. Yes, he came to serve and, and to bear the burden of sin, and to bear the wrath of God for all mankind. But he also says the good news is that that is an entryway through me and in me and about me into the kingdom of God. And a lot of people might say, well, I'm not sure. Uh, this is This seems weird. This seems like new agey stuff that you're trying to like insert into the church. That's not at all what I'm saying, because this is all focused on who Jesus is as a person. Any kind of idea where you're trying to, I guess, manifest something around you that doesn't involve Jesus whatsoever, that doesn't involve his lordship, that's something that's going to crush you. That's something that's going to ruin you. What the kingdom of heaven looks like is completely different from all that other garbage because Jesus is in control. Why would we remove from Jesus' prayer that he teaches us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Was that a joke Jesus was playing on us? Is that, is that something that Jesus, you know, he's like, oh, I'll just throw that in there and it'll be hopeful. It's a nice metaphor. You know what I mean? That the kids will like it. It seems like a nice thing to say. Or is it something that he took seriously that he believed was actually possible? And he was handing on the responsibility of that to his apostles and then on to us through those that have continued to hear the message of Jesus Christ. When he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come, he's saying it's here now and it's continuing to happen because I'm here. And Jesus is that force beyond nature that is continuing to lead his church and see the kingdom of heaven established on earth. What does Jesus say in Matthew 13, 44? What's the kingdom like? And I encourage you to look through all his parables about the kingdom. It is unbelievable to me how much he talks about the kingdom and how little we talk about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew says the kingdom of heaven. The other gospels say the kingdom of God. Matthew was writing to a more Jewish audience. So it was kind of a way of respecting God by not saying the kingdom of God. Jesus, so Jesus says here in Matthew 13, 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Let me ask you a question. Is the gospel that you believe now, is the gospel that you're invested in now, is the gospel that you first heard or are continuing to hear, is that a treasure hidden in a field that if you found it, You would sell everything with joy, give away everything with joy in order to have it and everything surrounding it. The good news that Jesus is giving is so far beyond beyond what many of us experience in our daily lives. What if you, what if we could live our lives now in the kingdom through the achievements of Christ? It's almost like an enforcement of what he's already done. 
So much of what has held back the potency of the message of Jesus is that we relegate it to times of so-called religious activity. When we talk about the rule and reign of Almighty God, His direct will being done on a daily basis in our personal lives, the commitment level does not decrease, it increases. Every aspect of what you say and what you do now becomes a matter of the kingdom of God, His direct rule and reign through the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done, you've become a part of a new family and he's gathering a new people. So he did not just save you, he saved us. Living in this reality is what Jesus offers. Heaven after we die? Of course. Resurrection? Of course. His triumphant and final return? Of course. It's all over scripture. But what about today? What about right now? What about when you wake up tomorrow morning? What about your marriage? What about your job? What about everything in between? What about your habits, your daily habits, what you eat, what you drink, how you live? Is it influenced by Jesus himself and as it could be? There's a message that goes around. It's like, well, Jesus gave you a brain. Use it. Yes, obviously. We should think through these matters. We should be like the Bereans. We should sit and look through. What does Jesus actually say about the kingdom of heaven? I challenge you, measure everything I say by the word of God. What is Jesus saying about the kingdom of heaven and why is he so obsessive about it? Why does he talk about it so much? Why is he delivering that message time and time again and delivering parables about that message time and time again? Jesus is giving us a key to living this out on our daily lives in the Lord's Prayer. We worship our Father in heaven. We put his name above every other name. Your kingdom come, Father, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, our Father. This is familial. This means you're part of a kingdom. But not just part of a kingdom, not just living in it as a slave, although we are slaves of Christ. What we really are sons and daughters of a king that Jesus has put us in that place. Like my wife took my name, so we now take the name of God. As a people, we take on his name, the name of Jesus. Think about the implications of that for a moment. He has wed himself to us. He's bound himself to us. He's taken responsibility for us. He's taken us into his household. He's taken you into his household. We are all part of the household of God. We are living stones being built as a temple with Christ being the the chief cornerstone. We're the body of Christ as he is the head, doing his will on earth, doing the will of his father, through him, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. What if you could live a life full of miracles on a daily basis? What if we took seriously the fact that we take on the name of Jesus? We take on his name. Think about the implications of that. Think about the commitment he's made to us when we make a commitment to him, when he draws us to him and into his kingdom. I pray for you today that you would hear for the first time maybe, or maybe, you know what, you've heard this before, but it hasn't quite clicked. I pray that you would find the gospel of the kingdom of the heart, that your heart would engage with what God is doing fully on a daily basis, 
not just in religious activity, not just in what we call attendance to church, but that you would fully and completely engage, even in your drive or your commute to work, completely engage with what God is doing when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.